0: Good morning church. Hope you guys are doing well and I hope your Sunday is off to a great start. I'm so excited to be with you this morning and to kind of study the scriptures with you. And I hope you're ready to go. I hope you have your coffee in hand, whatever it is to help wake you up on this Sunday morning. And uh, we're gonna dive right in. But before we dive in, I did wanna ask you guys a question. Do you enjoy sports? I think all of us enjoy sports in one way or another. We either enjoy watching sports, we enjoy talking about sports, or we enjoy, uh, we enjoy playing sports. All of us enjoy sports to some extent. Did you know that there is a Hall of Fame for every single sport? Every single sport you can think of, there is a Hall of Fame for it. Most of you guys probably already know this isn't news to you. But you have individuals, and maybe you can even name some of the individuals who are in the Hall of Fame in, in a particular sport. You think of baseball. The first person you think of is Babe Ruth, right? Basketball. You think of Michael Jordan. You think of uh, football. John Elway. Golf. Tiger Woods. You think of boxing, you think of the great Muhammad Ali. You think of NASCAR, you think of Dale Earnhardt. And if you think of hockey, perhaps you think of Dominic Hasek. Great name, by the way. In every sport, there's a Hall of Fame. We know this. But did you know that in the Bible, there's a Hall of Fame as well? For Bible characters who had great faith. And you see this in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, there's there's this list of all these Bible characters and Bible individuals who had great faith. And they're listed on there. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks is these individuals who had great faith. And they're in this hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11. And many Bible scholars, they call it the hall of faith. And so, uh, we'll be calling it the Hall of Fame for these next couple of weeks. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about one particular individual by the name of Gideon. Gideon is mentioned on the bottom part of the Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 6. This is where we see the story of Gideon, this individual who's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, the great Hall of Fame of Bible characters. And this morning... More than anything that I want to do, I want to encourage you from God's word. I want His words to encourage your heart this morning. Before we get to that, we have to we have to get to the bad stuff before we get to the good stuff. In our country right now, there is so much going on. There's so much going on in our country right now. We're just getting over the hump of a global pandemic. Hopefully, uh, it, we see unrest and division in our country. We see disunity. We don't see people getting along. We see so much disunity. On, on a more local level, there's so much that we don't know. We don't know if some of these small businesses that we enjoy will open up ever. They might go out of business. We don't know how the economy is going to do in our local uh, area. We don't know what the schools are going to look like for our kids this next school year. And even on a more personal level, we don't know what our finances always are going to look like in these times of uncertainty. And these certainly are times of uncertainty. And these problems are exacerbated by the news media. If you go on the news at all, if you go on the news for, for five minutes, if you go on social media for less time than that, you know what you come away with? You come away this with this feeling of negativity. This feeling of everything is horrible, everything's fallen apart, everything is not working. We're just we're at the end of all time. This is Ragnarok. This is this is the end times in the Bible. I mean this you just you come away thinking everything is horrible. And this is your experience regardless of of where you stand on the issue, left, right or middle. We all come away with this feeling like things just aren't right. And the worst part isn't all of the events happening to us and happening to uh, happening around us. Really, the worst part is this undeniable feeling we get that we are helpless in the midst of all of it. There's all of this unrest, all of this division, all this discord, all of these things going on. And the worst part is, is we feel so helpless in the midst of all of it. We feel so small in the midst of all of it. I mean, it's one thing if there's bad things going on. There's an, it's another thing if. Bad things are going on around you and you, you don't have any capacity to change any of it. Now, I said I wanted to encourage you and I do. This morning, we're going to be talking about this exact thing in this exact situation from the life of Gideon. You see, we're going to be, we're going to be asking ourselves this question. Can we make a difference? Can we make a difference when the problems seem so great and we seem so small? Can we make a difference when it feels like we are helpless in the situations around us? And the reason this is going to be encouraging is because the answer is yes. Of course, the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, you can make a difference in the world around you, even when it seems like We have no capacity to affect change in our world or in the people around us. And this is what we see from the life of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Someone who made a difference when the problem seemed so great and he seemed so small. And this story is incredible because God goes to great lengths to prove that he can make a difference through someone like Gideon. So let's look at the life of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Look at Judges chapter 6 and verse number 11. If you have your Bibles, this is right at the beginning of uh, the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, the seventh book in the Bible, Judges chapter 6 and verse number 11. Look at what it says there. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abizrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house." So the first thing you should know about this story is that Gideon lived in Israel during a time when they were being attacked and harassed and stolen from by hostile neighboring uh, countries. In the particular country in our story is the country of Midian. And the people of the Midianites, they were attacking and harassing and even taxing Israel, even though they were a separate country. And this had been going on for years, for seven years. This has been going on for a long time. It destroyed the morale and the economy, and really it it was starting to destroy uh, the nation of Israel from the inside out. And and so they did one the only thing they knew to do. The Israelites did the only thing they could do, and they cried out to their God for help. This is the only thing the Israelites knew. They didn't have a standing army. They didn't have any way to, they didn't have any kind of recourse against what was happening to them from the Midianites. And so the only thing they can do is go to God, and that's what they do. They cry out to God, God, we need help. And so you'd think that God would answer the Israelites by raising up a great leader, the 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 bravest, the tallest, and the strongest of all the individuals in Israel. You think that God would raise that person up and God would raise that person up and call that person to go out and to lead the Israelites into battle to save the day, so to speak. But that's not what God does. And this just doesn't make any sense from a human standpoint. Instead of going and finding and recruiting the bravest, tallest, and the biggest guy out there, God goes to the smallest guy out there. He goes to Gideon. And Gideon is just a nobody. You see it, Gideon says it himself that he is he he, he's, he comes from a family that is unknown in Israel and having a family name that was known was a big deal. He had an unknown family name. Nobody knew him. He had no leadership qualities, no leadership skills. He had no reason to be a leader of any kind, and God comes to him through an angel and says, you're going to be my guy that's going to lead the people out of uh, bondage of the Midianites, and you're going to conquer the Midianites to free the people of Israel. This is what the angel comes to Gideon and says. It doesn't make any sense. Gideon was a nobody, and he admits as much. He says, I am the least of all the people in my house. He says, not only is my family, the least known in all the land, but I am the least known in my family. I'm the most unimportant person you could choose in all the land. This is what he tells the angel of God. So the question is, why does God choose a nobody? Why does God send an angel to choose Gideon? This nobody, a farmer from Podunk, nobody's nobody's heard about. Why does he choose Gideon? And it's because God's trying to make a point. He's trying to make a very important point for him and a very important point to us this morning. And the point is this. The point is that God can use a nobody to save everybody. You see, God can use someone who doesn't look like they are the biggest, tallest, or the greatest, or even the most educated or the most rich. God can take someone who's essentially a nobody and he can save everybody with that person's life. God can use a nobody to save everybody. And this ought to be encouraging to us this morning because it means that regardless of who you are, what you've done, what you can do, or what you, what you hope to do, God can use your life. It means that your life has potential regardless of who you think you are or who you think you are not. You see, the story of Gideon is the story of God doing much with little. It's like an art gallery. You ever been to an art gallery before? Boring things, right? I actually enjoy them. You go to an art gallery, and, and many times in an art gallery, you don't just see pictures hanging on the wall, but you see sculptures, right? You see sculptures that have been beautifully crafted and sculpted and, and, and chiseled out of stone or perhaps clay. And it's the, the ones that are made out of clay that are interesting to me because you, clay is just... A hard mud. It's just a mud that when it dries, it turns into a hard kind of rock. These clay sculptures are essentially just dirt. And yet from that dirt, from that mud, from that clay, a beautiful, magnificent, grand sculpture is created and brought forth out of essentially nothing. That's why God uses nobodies. Because He can take... Us, who are just made from the dirt of and the dust of the ground. He could take us, who are many times not really the greatest, and he can change everything through our life, regardless of who we are. You see, this is the potential we all have in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. This is the potential we have embedded in our life, given to us by God is that he can use us. Many of us, many times we think of ourselves as nobodies, yet God can use a nobody to save everybody. And and God regularly uses individuals who seem unimportant or underqualified to their world. These are the people that God is looking for. These are the people that God uses. And this is so unlike the tales you read about in in mythology, in the Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, if you ever read tales of Greek mythology or you've read books on it, I enjoy looking into it and reading about it. In Greek mythology, all of the gods choose the bravest, the wisest, the most powerful, the strongest individuals to do great acts, to be the heroes of the story. All the gods choose uh, all lesser gods like Perseus, Hermes, Achilles, Hercules. All of these individuals, they have great strength and bravery, and they can do many uh, almost inhuman, supernatural acts. These are what we imagine to be the people that God chooses, these heroes, so to speak. This makes sense from a human standpoint, that God would choose these kinds of individuals, the bravest, the tallest, and the strongest among us, to do the greatest acts and to save people. Yet that's not what God does. This is not how God operates, nor is it what he teaches in Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26. For you see your calling, brethren, How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things, you check that out, the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So God works by a different set of qualifications. Some of the most amazing things in Scripture were undertaken by individuals who were nobodies. You remember Jesus fed a crowd of thousands of people while he was on earth. Why? Because one little boy, one little random kid came up to Jesus, gave him his own lunch, and from that lunch, God fed thousands of people. One little boy God used to do a great miraculous thing. See, see, God doesn't use the hero. He uses the random little child, the nobody, so to speak. Remember David and Goliath? David was a nobody. He was a shepherd. And yet he faces off, he squares off against Goliath, the giant, and he defeats him with just a sling and a few rocks in his hand. Little old David defeats Goliath. And then even Jesus himself. Jesus was this unknown carpenter from a city that no one cared about, and yet he goes all the, way to, all the way to the cross and saves humanity, one person. You see, God uses the most unlikely of people for his work. God uses people like us for his work. See, God called Gideon in our story, and nobody, a farmer, to lead his people out of oppression. Often God uses the nobody to save everybody. One of my favorite movies in all the world and of all time is Lord of the Rings. It's just a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. You got to watch it at least once, preferably 10 times. You should watch Lord of the Rings 1, 2, and 3. Lord of the Rings, this is my favorite movies. What I love about Lord of the Rings is is it gives me hope whenever I watch it. And the reason it gives me hope is because the main character, his name is Frodo. And Frodo is this short little dude, literally a hobbit. He is a hobbit from the Shire, and he has to take this ring of power, the most deadly and powerful ring of all time. It can destroy the world and bring Sauron back to life, all that. He has to take this one little ring as this little midget dude, this hobbit, he has to take this ring from where he is, span the entire uh, uh, the entire earth of what he called Middle-earth and it span his entire earth to take that ring of power to Mount Doom of all places and throw that ring into Mount Doom, into the fires of Mount Doom to destroy that ring and save essentially the world. One little hobbit does all this. It gives me hope and it gives me encouragement because this 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 is how God works. He doesn't use the greatest among us. He uses the person that we think is the most unqualified. He uses the person that thinks he or she cannot do anything. That's the person God chooses, and that's the person God wants to. Uh, he wants you to be this morning. And maybe you're thinking, "Well, I'm imperfect. How can God? How can I do anything in my life? I feel so helpless in the world around me, with everything going on. I feel so helpless. And and how can God use me? I'm imperfect. Perfect. You're the person God's looking for." Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have lots of gifts and abilities. You're hired. That's You're the person God wants. Maybe you're thinking, well, well, I'm flawed. You're exactly who God's looking for. You're the one for the job. You want to know the only qualification you need to make a difference is Jesus. He is the only qualification. He is the only one you need to make a difference. He is the qualification you need. If you have him in your life, you are empowered to make a difference where you are. Now, before we move forward with the story, uh, I do want to show you another part of Gideon that was lacking. So it wasn't just that he was this unknown guy who didn't have strength, abilities, bravery, or anything. This, there's more to the story. He had even less than that. Look at, look at verse number 16 and 17. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. He said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. So, after Gideon was met by an angel, he was told that God would go with him wherever he went. Great, right? This angel tells Gideon, I'm going to be with you. You're going to succeed. You're going to do great. You're going to have all the powers. You're going to to conquer everybody. You're going to conquer the Midianites. You're going to drive them out. Israel's going to be free. This is what the angel tells tells Gideon. In, in, In response, you would think that Gideon would say, Cool, this is awesome. This angel is going to be with me the entire time. God's going to have his hand on me. Everything's going to be great. Let's go. I'm ready to take the uh, take all the armies on right now. If the angel of God says we're we're going to succeed, pff, what do we have to worry about? Let's go. This is what you would think Gideon would say. But in response to the angel saying, "I am God is going to be with you literally." In response to that, Gideon says, "Man, I don't know. I need some proof. I don't believe still." He wanted proof. He tells the angel, If I found grace in your sight, if what you're saying is true, then show me a sign. Gideon still didn't believe. After an angel from God came to him and said, you're going to succeed, Gideon's like, yeah, I don't know. You see, Gideon, he had this faith problem. Maybe you're thinking, cut Gideon some slack. This is the first time an angel's ever talked to him. This is the first time he's ever asked for a sign. You're right. Gideon actually, he asked for a sign three different times. This is the first time. Two more times, Gideon asks for a sign from God because he didn't have faith, because he didn't trust, even though an angel from God is the one who told him to do all of this. He had little faith in this story, and yet God chose him. God knew that he had little faith. God knew that he was going to doubt him all along the way, yet God still chose him. God chose Gideon in spite of Gideon's faith problem. Why would he do this? And and, and think about it. Hebrews chapter 11, the very thing we're talking about this week and for the next couple of weeks, is the Hall of Fame. It's talking about these Bible characters who had great faith. And Gideon is mentioned, his name is written down in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Yet here we see that he has little faith. So why is he mentioned in the Hall of Faith if in our story he really doesn't have all that much faith? Here's why. Because it's not about great Faith. It's about growing faith. You see what matters to God? The reason Gideon is in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith for Bible characters, isn't because he had this great faith. It isn't because he had more faith than anybody else in the land of Israel. It was because he had a growing faith. It was because he, he, he got this, he received the sign from the angel and he said, okay. And he said, he kept saying, okay to God all along the journey of his life kept saying, okay, okay, okay. And he had this growing faith. You know, the worst award to get when you're in high school is the most improved player award. (laughs) Most improved player award. It's the most horrible world that, uh, horrible award that you can get while you are in, uh, you're in junior, junior high, high school, whatever. It's just the most, it's the worst because it, it essentially is most improved player means that you're the most improved player throughout that uh, season perhaps the basketball season you're the most improved but what that really means is you are really really horrible you are the worst player to ever live and now you're less so <laughs> you're horrible you're still horrible you're just less horrible and so they give you the most improved player award to kind of pat you on the back <laughs> did you know that that that's that's okay the point isn't that you have this great skill this great the point here in in Gideon's life isn't that he had great faith It was that he had growing faith. And that is all God is looking for. It's not that you're the greatest. It's not that you're tallest, bravest, and you have the most strength. Not that you're the most educated, the rich. That's that you have growing faith. You know why that's encouraging? Because it's something we all can have. You know, I can't be the greatest at most things. I can't be the bravest at most things. But I can grow, regardless of who I am. And God is saying... We all can be like Gideon. It doesn't matter what kind of situation you're in, you can have growing faith. God's not looking for greatness. He's looking for growth. That's encouraging because it means that you don't need great faith to make a difference in your family. You don't need great faith to make a difference in your church. You don't need great faith to make a difference in your community, in your relationships. You know why you don't need to feel helpless in this season of life, or any season for that matter? Because even just a little bit of growing faith, like Gideon, can change a nation, can change everything. Just a little bit of growing faith can change your family. Just a little bit of growing faith can change your country. Just a little bit of growing faith can change your church, your community, your marriage, your relationship with your children. Just a little bit of growing faith. Has your faith been growing? Do you trust God more now, this year, than you have in the past? What step of faith have you taken these past months? I love the way Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 17, verse number 20. Maybe you've heard this verse in Matthew chapter 17. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for truly, verily, I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. All you need is a little faith, the grain of a mustard seed type faith. Maybe you're wondering, what can I do with a little faith? You can love when the other person doesn't deserve it. What can you do with a little bit of growing faith? You can serve when you don't feel like it. What can you do with a little bit of growing faith? You can give when it doesn't make sense. You can help when it doesn't seem to make a difference. Just a little faith can do this. Do you remember the story of Peter walking on the water? You remember, he's the only one out of the 12 disciples to get off of the boat in the middle of the storm. As Jesus is walking on the water to them in the middle of the storm, and they're in this boat, and they're about to sink. And Peter, he steps off of the boat, and he literally walks on water to Jesus. But as he makes his way towards Jesus, and perhaps as is very, very close to Jesus, he starts to look around, and he starts to sink. And as he sinks, God reaches down his hand. Jesus reaches down his hand, and he picks him up, and he says to Peter... Oh, Peter, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And many of us, when we hear that story, we wag our finger at Peter and we say, why did you have such little faith? You could have made it all the way to Jesus. But that's not really the point here. The point here is that with a little bit of faith, Jesus, he's the one who recognized that Peter had just a little bit of faith. Oh, ye of little faith. With just a little bit of faith, Peter walks on water. We never see it that way. We think Peter had little faith, Shame on him. No, 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 Peter had little faith, and with that little faith, he does something no other human being has ever done. He walks on water. That is what we can do with just a little bit of faith. You see, it's not about great faith. It's about growing faith. Now, I want you to see the first step that God takes uh, in making Gideon into the leader he would need to be. Look at, look at uh, verse number 25. This is the first step that Gideon takes, and this doesn't make sense, which is why I love this, because this doesn't make sense. Verse number 25, look at this. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Gideon, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock, the bull of seven years old and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day that he did it by night. So that same evening, the angel comes to Gideon, and he says to Gideon, this is what God wants you to do. And you can imagine that Gideon's probably like, oh, here we go. Let's go. We're gonna raise up an army. We're gonna make some swords and weapons. That's not what, that's not what Gideon hears from the angel. The angel tells Gideon, this is what you need to do. First thing that we need you to do is we need you to take some bulls, some cows, some of your uh, employees, and we need you to go knock down the idols that your father has set up. On your property, And not only do we want you to knock down the idols that he set up on your property, we want you to knock down all of the garden area that they've set up near the idols. In those days, that's what groves were. Groves were gardens that people would build to kind of set around the, 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 the idol that they would have so that people could worship and they'd be in awe and majesty of this idol. And this angel tells Gideon, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take all of your employees. I want, to take, I want you to take some bulls. I want you to knock it all down, clean it all up. Well, this has nothing to do with freeing Israel, right? Gideon, I want you to take your employees and your people and knock down the grove and the idols in your father's house. What does that have to do with freeing the Israelites from the Midianites? It says absolutely, if anything, him knocking down these idols would make everyone mad. It would make them less apt to help him in the coming battles. So why does an angel tell Gideon to go knock down? The first thing this angel tells him to do is to knock down the idols and the groves in his property. What's the point? The point is this. Change what's in you before you change what's around you. You see that? The Gideon Gideon is being told by the angel, before you can go and take the Midianites, before you can go conquer the land, and you can do what God wants you to do, first you have to work out the things in your own life and in your own home. You see, you have to change what's in you before you can change what's around you. This is what the this is what the the, the angel is telling him and this is interesting because this has nothing to do with liberating the people of israel it has everything to do with the heart of gideon before god asked gideon to change a nation he asked him to change his home it's like um it's like a vacuum often we will vacuum our house my wife will vacuum the house and we have to do this quite often because we have a cat and this and she sheds quite a bit and quite often and so my wife is always vacuuming the house and and i see the vacuum And sometimes it has this, the transparent container where you can take the, all the stuff you vacuum out, vacuumed out and you can throw it away. I see this little container and it starts to get really full. And my wife says, when it gets full, it won't vacuum properly. So what you have to do is you have to take that canister out of the vacuum. You have to throw away all the dirt in the, in the fur and all of the hair and all the stuff around the house. You have to throw all that out, clean that out, that container, put it back in the vacuum. And then once it's cleaned out from the inside, then the vacuum can clean everything in your, in our house. It's true in life. That is the same principle is true in our life. Before we can be used by God to clean up what's around us, first we have to clean up what's in, in us. And God's saying to us this morning, what's in your life that's keeping you from making a difference in someone else's life? What's in your life that's keeping you from making a difference in your community? What's in your life that's keeping you from making a difference in the people around you, in the relationships you have? Clean that up. Clean yourself from the inside out. If we want to be effective on the outside, we must be clean on the inside. It's like the man who asked his friend, don't you want to change the world? And the friend answered him. He said, I would change myself first. You see, that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest part, is changing ourself first. If you want to change the world, start with your heart. Ask God to work on your heart in your life First, God make me a better husband. God make me a better spouse. God make me, make me a better uh, parent. Make me a better uh, teenager. Make me a better student. Make me more unified with the people I know. Make me more peaceable to the people I am around. Help me take responsibility in my own life. God help me change me first before we change anybody else. This has everything to do with Jesus. Because he is the starting point for internal spiritual change. You see, if, God want, if we want to change the outside, we have to change the inside. And if we want to change the inside, only Jesus can do that in our life. Real, genuine change comes from Jesus. And you see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, only Jesus can change a heart. Only He can make our lives new. Only Jesus can make us new from the inside out. If we will allow God to do a work in our lives, then we are ready for Him to do a work through our lives. You see, it's, it's like this um, job I had many years ago. And it was, I was working outside primarily. And my boss had a John Deere tractor. And we all drove this John Deere tractor, but it broke down. And so what he had to do is he had to troubleshoot what the problem was in this John Deere tractor. And so he ended up taking the entire engine out of the tractor. He, and, and, and he had this thing hoisted up on a crane type thing. I don't know what those are called, but he had this thing hoisted up and he has, he was working on the engine of this tractor for weeks and he took this thing apart bit by bit and it took him a long time to do it and he had to see what was wrong and look at the bolts and all the little bits and bobs inside of this engine and he had to clean them out and see what was broken, see what was not, see what needed more grease and what didn't. And he once he fixed it from the inside out, then he stuck the engine back into the tractor, turned it on, and the tractor was ready to go. Why? Because it needed to be working from the inside out. And that is what God is trying to do in our life this morning. He says, I want to use your life in the life of others. But first, you've got to change yourself first before you change what's around you. Change what's in you before you change what's around you. You see, this is what we see from the life of Gideon. Next week, we're going to get into him actually defeating the Midianites and cleaning up Israel. But right now, it's all about him cleaning up his own life. Let me ask you this morning, do you want to make a difference? You can. So let's change what's in us before we change